Hello, beloves, and welcome to Unbossed. You know, we so glad that you are here always, always, always. And you know who else I am glad is here? None other than Max Burns. Hello, Max, how are you today? Hey, Nina, thanks so much for having me. I know we have a ton of stuff to get through today, so I'm excited to uh, to take down the news with you. Yeah, we absolutely do, and you contribute for Rebel HQ. Is there anything that you want our viewers to know about? happening over there at the HQ. Well, I'll tell you, I have my eyes on this Fox News election scandal and how we now know that everyone at Fox knew this was a lie when they said the election was stolen. There is a lot to dig into there and I've just chipped the surface. All right, you guys wanna follow Max. We have some extraordinary contributors over there at the Q and Max is certainly one of them. So we're gonna stay posted on that Max. And today Max and I will be talking about the tense, the tense clash that occurred on the floor as union leaders and, G, and a GOP senator went head to head. And SoFi is big mad about student loan payments being paused so much that they're, they are filing a lawsuit, Oh yeah. They got more nerves than a brass a monkey to quote my grandmother. And later in the show, five women in Texas are taking abortion rights into their own hands. Now don't forget to subscribe if you are watching today for the very first time, please make sure you subscribe. If you are a frequent viewer, thank you so much. Why don't you go ahead and text somebody, a phone a friend, message in a bottle, do something. Let them know that Unboss is one of the best hours of their day. That would make us feel really good here at the Unboss team. And we are going to get jump right into it. Union leader clashes. It was on and popping in the Senate in the Senate Help Committee yesterday. Take a look. You've asked the You're question. out of line. Let him answer Actually, the question. And no, don't tell me I'm out you of line. You are out of line. Don't tell me I'm out of line. Well, you, you, you frame. Don't tell me. You I'm frame, you frame, you frame the statement. Shut your guy. mouth. Yeah. Because you don't you're know what you're talking about. You're going to tell me to shut my mouth? Yes, I did. Hold it. Hold it. Tough guy. I'm not afraid of physical. Hold it. But don't sit there. Ooh, Senator Sanders was hitting the gavel. I'm gonna hold it, hold it, hold it. And you got the union leader basically saying, "Baby, we can take this to the streets if you want to." Listen, uh, Senator Mullins, let me let me give you some advice here, dude. Do not tell a grown man to shut up. Okay, that's number one, two, three, four, and five on the list, sir. That you need to understand that you don't tell grown folks to shut up. You ain't nobody's daddy in there, not in there. So the union leader did exactly what he needed to do. Now we're gonna break this down in a moment, but I just we need you to take a look, Max. You and I, we're gonna we're gonna look at this together. Take a look at this. Hold greedy CEOs That's like yourself accountable. You call me a greedy CEO. Oh yeah, you are. You want to attack my salary? I'll attack yours. Here, what did ahead. you make? What did you make when you owned your company? I made my company. I kept my salary down at about fifty thousand a year because I invested every penny into it. Okay, all right. You mean you hid money? No, I didn't hide. Oh, oh, hold on a second. Okay, cut. He said that's out of line. You frame, you frame your opening hold statement. Hold on, hold on. Let's slip. You frame your opening right. statement, no, Stan. You're a Senator, tough guy. continue. This, uh, this Senator, please continue your statements. But, sir, this is a. Oh, yeah. Max and I, we watching that with y'all. I mean, it was hot in there, Max. I'm still feeling the heat right now. No, I love it. I mean, you can tell how long it's been. Since Republicans have faced someone actually willing to fight for unions, that when they put someone on the stand there and ask them questions that are disrespectful, insulting, lies, they don't expect to get pushback. And this was great to see. I mean, we need more people willing to fight that hard for union protections everywhere. 
I totally agree with that. Oh my God, I wish I could have been in that room. It was it was exhilarating to see that union leader say, hold on, hold on. I'm a man just like you. You're not gonna push me around. And let us talk to the audience about, you know, here's more how, how all of this played out. So Teamsters president, that's that was Sean O'Brien, got into a heated argument with Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma during a Wednesday Senate Health Education, Labor and Pensions Committee hearing on union busting tax. So y'all saw the action right there. And Teamster President O'Brien was having none of the disrespect that he was getting from Senator Mullins. And he let him know right in real time. Kind of like how my mama dealt with her children when we were out of line. Oh, she said, oh no, I'm gonna get you right where you did it. We ain't gonna wait till you get home. You about to get it right here, right now. And that is what the Teamsters president did right then and there. He wasn't having any of it. So O'Brien told Mullins he was out of line after the GOP senator said that the union leader was quote sucking the paycheck end quote out of workers to earn his salary, which was roughly about $193,000 in 2019. And then this, don't tell me I'm out of line. That was Senator Mullins responded, you need to shut your mouth. Now those fighting words, right? And you can see in the video, where the union president was like, bro, let me tell you something. I'm a union leader. We will take this to the street. I'll be waiting for you in the hallway. I mean, that's pretty much Max. Max, that's pretty much what he said. And Senator Sanders put Max next to me. Senator Sanders just hitting the gavel, talking, hold up, hold up, hold up. Now it was, I'm telling you, it was beautiful. This is why you don't mess around with the unions. I mean, Mark Wayne Mullen, Senator Mullen says he made $50,000 a year as CEO of his non-union construction company. Now, I'm not a math genius, but he's worth about $70 million. I'd like to see how he got that from $50,000 a year running essentially a scab construction company. He had this coming for a long time and someone finally said it to him. Put him in his place, Max, and you're absolutely right. He owned that plumbing company, they weren't unionized and he sold his company in 2021 and absolutely he's worth you know between 30, 36 million to 76 million as you laid out. And you're absolutely right. To quote the great Andrew Yang on this one, the math ain't mathing, Senator. This ain't this ain't mathing. And so let's go on from the Hill reporting. We hold greedy CEOs. See, this is what President O'Brien let it be known. We hold greedy CEOs like yourself accountable. You want to attack my salary? I'll attack yours. What did you make when you owned your company? I mean, Max, I mean, that's it right there. Can we just rest right there? He just would not let him get away with it. And one of the things that kind of struck me, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, sharing your thoughts with myself and our and our audience, is that it's always curious how people who make that kind of money want people like Union President O'Brien and others to live on a little or nothing, that they see it as an affront if working class people are making enough money to indeed live a good life. Oh Yeah, I mean, they make tens of millions of dollars as Mullen did, and then they try to hide it. Uh, how much do you make is a pretty easy question for any working class person. It's only when you've got about $70 million that it suddenly becomes a really tough question to give a straight answer to. Uh, but yeah. the reality is, you know, these, these unions are fighting this kind of thing. There's Mark Wayne Mullins in every state in the country. That's and right. unfortunately, you know, the Democrats are not standing behind unions like they should to make sure that those people don't get the last word on what working families can do for a living wage. That's it, cannot get the last word. And the key phrase there, 
max is living wage. And what might be a living wage in one state might not necessarily be a living wage in another state. I mean, I'm in the Midwest, I'm in, I am in the great state of Ohio. Our cost of living is relatively compared to an Illinois, especially if you live in Chicago or compared to a Los Angeles in California or Seattle, Washington. Our cost of living is not as high as theirs, relatively speaking. And so what would be considered a living wage in Ohio might not necessarily fit if you live in California, if you live in Illinois. But we need some kind of baseline here. And we got to agree that $15 an hour is not a living wage, but we're just trying to get there because the national minimum wage it has not budged, has not budged since 2011. There is something wrong with that. Now, President O'Brien put up this tweet. He said, for the record, at Senator Mullins saw his reported assets balloon from a range of 7.3 million to 29.9 million at the end of 2020 to a range of 31.6 million to 75.6 million. All the things that that Max and I were talking about, that those are the facts right there. So for him to fix his mouth, quoting grandma once again, grandma quotes always, always appropriate. For him to fix his mouth to try to challenge President O'Brien over his salary, you know, that is some nerve. So yes, in other words, Senator, don't bring it here. Now my stunt double had to weigh in on this. You know she had to on what Senator Mullins was so swole up in the chest about. And this is what she had to say. There is nothing more threatening to the mouthpieces for the billionaire class than those in a union, baby. That is it, that is all exclamation point all up on that piece. And this headline from Common Dream sums up the situation. Class war erupts at hearing as union leaders and GOP senator exchange verbal blows. I should have bought my boxing gloves, Max. I do have some. I I like to spar. You know, I like to spar a little bit. Well, my trainer would say I ain't sparring. I'm just doing mitt work. But hello, I like to use it. Don't let them distract you, said Teamster President Sean O'Brien. Unions create jobs, make work safer, and put more money in workers' pockets. And let me remind our audience that union wages increase the wages of other sisters and brothers and family and friends, whether or not they are in a union. And that is why we need strong unions. My second point is that the support for unions in America right now is as high as it has ever been over the last 20 to 30 years, meaning the American people are rocking with unions. The only people not rocking with unions are people like Senator Mullins. Now, Senator Bernard Sanders, the chair of the Health Education and Labor Committee, better known as HELP, he made it plain right here. There's a class war going on, whether we want to recognize it or not. People on the top have the money, they have the power. They're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to try to prevent ordinary workers from coming together to fight for dignity. Max, any final thoughts in this segment? Well, apparently now it's class war to just tell a Republican they're lying. And I, I will say my favorite part of this is when Mullen looked over at Bernie Sanders like, are you gonna let him say mean things to me? Hilarious how how sheltered and how quickly these people <laughs> fold when they're pushed. We need to do so much more of that. So much more of it. Yeah, he was looking at him like, Daddy, come save me. <laughs> 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 Woo, oh, pres, pres, 
President O'Brien, baby, you up there in my hero. You up there in my hero list, baby. You let them know. We, hey, I'll be waiting for you out in the hallway, bro. You want to come at me like this? Vax, did you hear it like it was under his breath? He was saying it. And Senator Sanders was trying, you know, trying to get some control up in there. But hey, don't mess with O'Brien. That's the memo to Senator Mullins. Do not mess with a teamster, baby. Woo, yes, I'm with Max. I want to see more of that. Let's, Max, you know what? We're going to go to some viewer comments real quick before we go to our next story. Let's go ahead and see what the people got to say about what we are talking about today. I can't wait. I'm sure they all up in here right now. We got TYT member Mo Fury. Hey, Mo, can the real Democrats please stand up? Be more like O'Brien. Amen to that. Max and I are saying amen. On Twitch, Cat Dragon. Hey, Cat Dragon Nina, we are sending our love from Arizona. Now, Cat Dragon, I am receiving that love right here in Ohio. And who is Nith? Your grandma was so good. I just love it when you say her quotes. Who is Nith? She was. She was certainly a phenomenal woman. I'm actually going to write about her sayings too, because so many people love them. But thank you, Nith. I wish she was here on this plane of existence to see her granddaughter quote her so often. And on YouTube Super Chat, Sage Senator, the best opening theme ever. <laughs> thank you, darling. And Thomas, love this show. And Hoover, hey Hoover baby, watching Teamster President Sean O'Brien had me leaping out of my chair singing the song Solidarity Forever. It is very evident that unions make Mullins feel sullen. <laughs> I love that union strong. Max, I'm loving that. I'm telling you, our viewers, they something else. That one was good. Y'all put Max up so Max can respond to what our viewers, that was good. I love it. I yeah. love it. If we had that word play in the Senate, I mean, we'd be doing better. Yes, we would. Oh Lord, have mercy on our soul. Yeah, we're getting this party started real right here on Unbossed. Now we're gonna go to student loan payment pause lawsuit. Yeah, you heard me right. Somebody had the pure unadulterated gall to file a lawsuit. SoFi is big mad about student loan payments being paused, so much so that they're filing a lawsuit. We can't make this stuff up. Let's put up this headline team. Biden administration sued over student loan payment pause by SoFi. They got so much nerve. This reporting is coming from CNN. SoFi, a private lender, sued the Biden administration last week in an effort to end the pause on federal student loan payments that has been in place since March of 2020. Yeah, you heard it right. It's been paused since. President Donald J. Trump. All right, the pause on payments was originally put in place during the Trump administration to help people struggling due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The moratorium has since been extended eight times, most recently by President Joe Biden in November. Team, put Max up. We just about to go in on this right now. Now, Max, I, I need somebody to riddle me this. We know from President Trump to President Biden, the loan payments have been paused. Why can't we just, why can't they just be canceled? I just don't, I mean, I don't understand. I need I need you to help me understand this. Well, and you notice SoFi had no complaint when it was Donald Trump doing it. It's now that it's Democrats who are actually helping these people. Listen, I have a simple rule. If your company name is on the side of a football stadium, you don't get to stand on the necks of college kids just trying to make some money and get out from under their debt. You know, there should be better things these people are doing. But clearly they think that that you know their money comes from pulling whatever dollars these students have out of their pockets. So they're gonna fight as far as they can. 
and their families, Max. I mean, they don't get, they don't, they don't, yeah. they don't care. They don't give a damn. Now, SoFi had the nerve to discuss this lawsuit. I mean, they on the wrong path, and they just keep on working, walking down this path. We have supported and continue to support targeted student loan forgiveness. I don't even know what that means. In addition to the student loan payment moratorium during the economic crisis at the height of COVID-19 pandemic. However, it's time for the administration to follow through on this word to end the federal student loan payment moratorium. You know what? This is a bunch of BS. And I'm, this is a family show, but y'all can go ahead and fill in the blanks. The pure unadulterated gall of these people to fix their mouths, all right? To fix their mouths, to even say something like this. This lets you know, America, they don't care. You know, and we got to bump up against this kind of stuff. Now, the Department of Education shot back short, so, uh, so glad that they did. This is what they said. The law, This lawsuit is an attempt by a multi-billion dollars. I need y'all to underline it, underscore it, exclamation in the point, message in the bottle. Give me some smoke signals on this. A multi-billion dollar campaign uh, company to make money while they force 45 million borrowers back into repayment, putting many at serious risk of financial harm. Let me go ahead and add something to what the Department of Education just said. You're foul, so far. You're foul, baby. You are. You're unpatriotic is what you are. You're a bunch of ingrates is what you are, all right? And you making your money at other people's misery. That That's it. And that's all. And the feds need to go ahead and change the rules of the game. You're a bunch of ingrates. That's what you are. Let me just go and add to what the Department of Education had to say. And the Department of Education, they're absolutely right. What this comes down to is so far wanting to make money off of other people's struggle. You know, I have one of my mentors always say that there's pimping in poverty. I mean, Max, that, that's what one of my, my mayor mentors used to say. They're poverty pimps in this country. And so far is one of them. They pimping the people. Yeah, it shows you where our system is right now that nobody legally denies that the government can set whatever student loan policy it wants. That's right. What SoFi is doing is literally suing because they, an unelected financial lender, aren't happy with what the elected government of the country is doing. And they would like to force their own vision on the government. This is literally a company trying through the courts to force Joe Biden to do something that he has the total legal right to do. And it's solely to protect their profits. I mean, you couldn't come up with a better example of corporatist overreach if you tried. That's it, they the poster child. Unfettered greed is what this is, and this is not how it's supposed to be. And Max, the point that you made that the President of the United States has the authority, the Education Act of 1965 gives the President the authority, the same authority that this President and the former President used to pause is the same authority that they have to do what they're doing right now. And you know what, family, Max and I are gonna go a little further on this. They set the rules, Max just said that. So the feds can set the rules anytime they want to. We want you to understand that the rules of the game can be changed and they should be changed. I'm telling you. President Biden, make make an example out of SoFi. Let them know one way or the other. Hey, your administration ain't gonna stand for this. And if you need some help, you call a sister, cuz baby, I will help you handle these folks, right? Cuz something is wrong with them, it really, really is. So in its complaint, the company says that before the payment pause began in March 2020, SoFi originated 450 million to 500 million in refinanced federal student loans per month. In 2022, SoFi was originating about 10% of the volume in refinanced loans compared to 2019, according to court documents. 
Predatory lending, y'all, this is what this is, has sent student loan debt skyrocketing in just the last 15 years. We want you to take a look at this chart as we close out this segment. Up, 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 and up into the trillions of dollars. We are at, we are at $1.76 trillion. But you know what is not going up? People's wages compared to inflation. Hello, somebody? It shouldn't be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. There was a period of time in this country where education was college education was virtually free. Hello, somebody? Or it costs very little money. And we need a new social contract, America. One that encapsulates pre-K all the way to college. We can do it, all right? It's called the social contract. Don't let these fools fool you. Something is wrong with these people. Now, forgiving student loan debt is apparently too costly. But bailing out multi-billion dollar corporations and the ultra-rich, hey, they don't blink an eye on that. Remember this, this headline right here, doomed to fail. Why a $4 trillion bailout couldn't revive the American economy. An avalanche of US grants and loans helped the wealthy and companies that laid off workers. Individuals received about one-fifth of that eight. But I didn't hear so far saying, hold up, wait a minute. You see these fools? America, do you see what's happening here? It's one-sidedness. Now, let me just close this out with an evergreen reminder from my stunt double, because she always weighing in on this kind of stuff. Let's see what she had to say. And she mostly right, like 99% of the time. We need to cancel student debt, all of it. All right, that's it. The mic has been dropped. Let that marinate. We're gonna be back after this. And we are back. Guess what show comes on right after this? The watch list. We want you to go ahead and join J.R. Jackson, baby, on the watch list right after Unboss. TYT.com slash live. And on Facebook, watch list TYT. You don't want to miss J.R. as he is laying it down. And then, you know what? I had the chance to be on the lever with the one and only David Sirota. I joined him on the podcast Lever Time to discuss progressive politics and the failed Democratic response to the train derailment in East Palestine, which is an example of the failure of the Democratic Party to truly address the needs of working class people from all walks of life. Politics one on one, you got to show people that you care. You just can't mouth it. You got to be there with them by their side and letting them know how you're going to use the power that is in your hands. So I need you, I want you to go listen to the lever on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. ST was doing that. Yeah, she did. My stunt double, I must say that. And then the progress report, the big corporate newsletters all want you to believe that they got the inside story. But baby, the TYT progress report brings you something better. Insight, who don't want to have insight? Go ahead, put your phone up to that Q code and sign up today. You do not want to miss what the Progress Report team has to put out there. And lastly, in terms of our announcements today, don't you forget that you can catch Unboss on podcast wherever you get your podcast, baby. Go ahead and do that. All right, our second round of comments, TYT members, Sexy Speed Racer. Hello, Sexy Speed Racer. So far, should be sued. I know that's right, Sexy Speed Racer. Over is wasting of shareholder money on the name and rights to football stadiums. Max said the same thing in Inglewood, California. If they can afford that, they have zero right to complain about the student loan repayments being suspended. I know that's right, Sexy Speed Racer, make it plain. And on Twitch, Patricia, can we get a union back political party? 
Hello, Patricia, and have people like Teamsters President O'Brien as senators and reps. Imagine how they would take everyone to task and actually represent the people. Patricia, I can imagine that. And Jalen, hey, Jalen, darling, I love Nina Turner's stunt double. She all right, ain't she? Yes, she is. And on YouTube Super Chat, Rose, Nina's Smile is everything. Oh, thank you, baby. That is so sweet. And Vito in Gale, Nina Turner stunt double is always on point. Hashtag Nina Turner stunt double 2024. <laughs> I'm loving that. Put a Max in here, let him go and respond to those comments. Hey, they're right. They're right. You got the hardest working stunt double in politics. <laughs> and, and unlike a lot of people on Twitter, the spelling is always right. So that's a huge bonus. <laughs> Max, now you put some pressure on my stunt double now. Now she better not make a spelling error. And that's coming from a journalist who knows how to put that down in writing. No, I appreciate you, Max. And Max and I appreciate all of you, the Unbossed team. We really, really do. Thank you so much for watching us and thank you for your support of TYT. Uh, the president is talking about looking to fund Medicare by increasing taxes on the rich. Check out this headline, Biden eyes tax hike on income over $400,000 to fund Medicare. Now here's the breakdown of the proposal. Biden's budget will propose hiking taxes on Americans making over $400,000 per year and, and allowing the government new power to negotiate drug prices as part of an effort the White House says will extend the solvency of a key Medicare program for another quarter century reporting coming from Bloomberg Law. Now, all right, now we, we gonna give the president a silver star for this, for making this proposal. But I gotta take my star back. Now, Max may disagree with me and that's fine. Cause you know what, he don't have to totally agree with me as this. Now, Max, I'm giving the president a silver star. Notice it's not gold and it's not platinum, <laughs> but I'm gonna take it back. And one of the reasons why Max, I'm taking it back is I wish he had had of introduced this proposal in the 117th Congress. That's why, your thoughts. Yeah, I don't know if you've looked at the House, but it is not a party in control now that's interested in passing any protections for Medicaid or taxing any rich people. And one of the things that frustrates me with this is it's almost the White House doing something it knows isn't going to pass to make it seem harder than it is to get done. As Joe Biden said last year, and it did last year, there are executive orders we could do right now to achieve a big chunk of this. But by doing it this way, then we can say, well, the White House tried, it didn't work, and let them off the hook. And I don't think we should. Max, I'm with you. Put us side by side. Now that, see, team, go ahead. Thank you, team. Teamwork makes dream work. I want y'all to know that we got a team here that we cannot see, but they they making Max and I, you know, they working this thing. So Max, that is it. I love what you said, harder, making it seem like it's harder to get done. And in doing it this way, it really disheartens the American people. And to me, it makes the American people just kind of lose their ability to reimagine how things should be done with public policy and that they actually do deserve nice things. So Max, I love how you laid that out right there. See, Max did the velvet glove. I just come in with the hammer and Max is the velvet glove. So, you know, I mean, because even in Bloomberg Law, they said, and you know, in the writing, his plan has little chance of becoming law, especially after Republicans took control of the House in January. There it is. You heard it. 
That's that's so that's why I'm taking back the star, you guys. And when Democrats discussed the Biden agenda, they had the prime opportunity in the 117th Congress to pass legislation that protects Social Security, Medicare, and voting rights. And that is the problem, folks. When you have power, let me just go and break this down. When you have power, you have to use it right then and there because you don't know how much how long it's gonna last. That's it. And that's all. And nature abhors a vacuum. And so Democrats should have got to getting in the 117th Congress because they always knew it might be a chance that they might lose both or one of the chambers of the Congress. Now my toddlers know this. And they three years old, one is three and one is one and a half. They understand this. And why can't we get grown folks who are elected to office to understand that you don't let power just linger, baby, you use it. And especially when you want to use it for the good. So that's just me. Gave them the star, I gave it to them. And I'm taking it back. Now, the president is just really into this bipartisan relationship with the GOP, GOP thing. And it's making me a little uneasy. Now, listen, if bipartisanship means strengthening the social safety net, then I'm all for it. But if bipartisanship means shaving off the social safety net and continuing to make the everyday people of this nation wait and languish while corporatists who are greedy as hell, most of them get to live the high life for themselves and for their children and their children's children, their children's children, children, their children, those children after that, while big mama and big papa's children language, I ain't for that kind of bipartisanship. But this is what the president, so instead President Biden was so busy playing cute with the shadow president, Joe Manchin, who has not ruled out running for president, mind you, to cut deals with the GOP. Let's put up this headline, Manchin calls for social security, Medicare deal stokes GOP optimism. You know why? Because he GOP like, that's why they all giddy about this. And the reality is, is that too many people rely on programs, so many people, not too many people rely on programs like Medicare. Too many for politicians to play games, people need it. Let's put up this chart team really quickly. Percentage of people covered by Medicare in the United States from 1990 to 2021. Now, if you are looking, you see it has gone up, up, up. If you are listening to us, let me just tell you, this chart is from the United States Census Bureau and the needs are going up, up, up and up. So now if you're having trouble reading that, or you're just listening, the percentage of those who rely on Medicare shot up by 5% since 1990. That's pretty much what that chart is saying. Now don't let Biden stunt at the State of the Union where he got members of the GOP to promise. Now the president called him out, but you know, it's kind of light. Promise not to cut Social Security or Medicare. I don't believe that any of those ghouls, to quote MM on the team, he calls these people ghouls. That these ghouls, I don't believe them for a hot second, not a half, not a millisecond. Check out the Republican Study Committee plan. Let's put this up, team. The Republican Study Committee plan. The plan would balance the budget in 10 years by slashing government health programs and other domestic spending. Want to cut Social Security 4%, Medicare 24%, Medicaid, CHIP, Obamacare 49%, other mandatory spending like food assistance, farm subsidies, military retirement, ain't that some stuff? And anti-government programs 60%, defense a 1% gain, all of the spending, veterans, health, transportation, education, law enforcement, research and foreign affairs, 49% cut. These are people's lives that our members of Congress are playing games. Max, your thoughts? Well, it shows you a lot that Republicans are so confident 
proposing and, and standing behind ideas that have 60, 70, 80% of the country opposed to them is because they know the secret's out. That Democratic consultants don't want Democrats to push this issue. They want to try and get to bipartisanship. But you know the reality is bipartisanship should never stand in the way of actual progress. And the worry here is, you know, I hear a lot of Democratic consultants say if he forces this, it'll end up in the courts and Republicans will fight it. But when have you ever heard Republicans back off from a single idea because it would end up in the courts? Come and on. Those years it's in the courts, it's still in place and it's still law. That's how Republicans have found to successfully move policy forward. We're afraid to use that same tool. Thanks. I mean, you dropping the gems today, baby. Bipartisanship should never get in the way of progress. America, did you hear that? Did you hear what Brother Max just said? Bipartisanship. Mr. President, can you hear us? Bipartisanship should never get in the way of progress. So maybe if it's getting in the way of progress, that's the kind of bipartisanship you do not need, Max. That is it. And you're right, the Republicans don't hesitate to use power, even if they are using it in one of the most repressive ways, which unfortunately today's Republicans, that is the way they're using it most of the time on the state and federal levels of government in particular. America, we got to do better. We can do better. We must stop being complicit. In our own demise here, Lord have mercy on my soul. All right, let's go and see what the comments have to say with folks who are commenting, who are watching this show. Join Max and I right now. Let me just go ahead and pull this up. We got on Twitch, Marina, Nina is living joy and truth. <laughs> Thanks Marina, I appreciate that. I like KC, Biden is trying to do the bare minimum now as he's trying to run again. Well, KC, I cannot really argue with that. You are right in my book and on YouTube Super Chat, Gordy. Hey, Gordy, you bring the sunshine to a cold Canadian winter day in Toronto, Nina. Thank you for the good vibes and for stirring up a bit of critical consciousness. Woo, Max, Max I'm telling you, they just got me. I ain't gonna be able to walk out of my studio after this show is over. Well, your your viewers love it. I mean, you've got the best viewers. I think that's that's pretty clear. And they have the best wordplay too. I mean, I wouldn't want to upset any of these people. They they would go all union president on me and rip me apart. So I'm 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 glad they enjoy it so much. It's it's easy to like. Ah, uh, thank you for that, Max. Now you didn't gave me a new saying. Don't make me go all union president on you <laughs> up in here, up in here. <laughs> so look, I'm gonna throw papers. And then I'm gonna say, don't make me go union president up in here, up in here, and pull out the fire extinguisher. So now I got something new. Thank you for that, Max. And thanks to all of our viewers for sharing your comments. We really do appreciate you. Oh, now to another story here: murder for Najee C. Brooks. So police shouldn't have to respond to a mental health crisis. This is real, or at the very least. They should be the last resort. So a prime and tragic example of that has unfolded in Patterson, New Jersey. Take a look at this headline. Anti-violence organization demanding justice after police fatally shoot an employee in distress. This reporting is coming from ABC News. This all took place this past Friday when Najee Seabrook was killed by police. Let's go a little deeper into this. The Patterson Police Department responded to a 911 call on Friday of a person in distress, later identified as Seabrook 31, 
who had barricaded himself inside a bathroom according to the New Jersey State Attorney's Office. We're gonna go further with this. According to the state's attorney general, Matthew J. Patkin, both crises negotiation and emergency response teams were sent to the scene where non-lethal force against Seabrook was used. The AG's office said that two officers from the Patterson Police Department's emergency response team responded with lethal force when they shot and killed Seabrooks. Again, reporting coming from ABC News. Now let's take a look at Mr. Seabrooks, who he was, look at that. That smile could certainly light up a room, this is him. The officers had the opportunity to help from Najee's colleagues at the organization he worked for, the Patterson Healing Collective. I kind of want you to take in the fact that he was on the front line trying to help others and he himself needed some help. This picture is coming from Joshua Field on Twitter, yet they refuse, they refuse to help me in the police department. The most pressing question is why they turned down help from Seabrook's friend, friends and coworkers at the Patterson Health Collective who rushed to the scene after Seabrook's contacted them by phone. Further in the reporting, workers at the Healing Collective have earned wide praise for their work to limit the violence in Patterson, helping victims and urging them to avoid retaliation. They are trained professionals and and they wanted to help on Friday, begging police to let them talk to Seabrooks. Instead, they heard the gunshots that ended their friend's life while waiting helplessly outside. Max, this is a tough one. Yeah, this is this is especially tragic all around. And people wonder, you know, who have not experienced this, why people don't call the police when they have a mental health crisis. And the fact is, if you have a, a mental health issue, you are 16 times more likely to be killed by police if they're called during an emergency. If you call them for help, it's basically a coin flip, whether or not they'll arrive and just shoot you in the face. I mean, and it, it sounds here like this is a department that did a lot of things right. They sent out a crisis team. Uh, but it again shows you this huge hole in our social work and mental health care nets within police departments. It's something that should be split off from policing entirely because time and time again we see that the only people who suffer are the people who make the calls in most cases. Yeah, that is unfortunately the truth, Max, right there. And the Patterson Healing Collective said the following. In their statement, the pain of this tragedy is magnified because Najee dedicated his life to reducing gun violence in Patterson and work every day as a high risk violence intervention interventionalist alongside his colleagues at the Patterson Hill and Collective. Najee's death is one more senseless violent act that underscores how critically important it is to have community based first responders like Patterson Hill and Collective who are trained in de-escalation and community crisis response in our neighborhoods. And again, this is coming from the Patterson Hill and Collective. The Najee's family and colleagues are demanding answers and actions and I think that is their right to do so. The Patterson Healing Collective along with Seabrook's family is demanding that a Passaic County Prosecutor Camilla M. Valdez and Patterson Public Safety Director Gerald Spiesel resign. The Patterson Healing Collective has also called for the release of body camera footage of the incidents 
for the officers involved in the shooting to be placed on administrative leave and the creation of a non-carceral crisis response team and a civilian complaint review board that could have investigatory and subpoena power. Really not asking for too much there. Our hearts, our hearts go out to Najee's family. So the police and just even thinking about it, Max kind of started this talking about this a little bit. What could have been done in a deeper way and whether or not the way police respond to incidences like this, to situations like this, could something have been done a little differently? Are we truly equipped or are we equipping our police departments to be able to handle mental health crises? As we stated at the top, the police shouldn't have to respond to that. That is not what the policing is designed to do. And they got some partners in the field with this. They got some other career folks who do understand, who are trained in this. And why not? Why not partner them together? Law enforcement with experts who know how to deal with mental health crises. That sounds like a good idea to me. So here was Ali Veleshi using the example of the New York Mayor Eric Adams decision to have police involuntarily hospitalize unhoused individuals dealing with mental health, mental health challenges. Take a look at this. It puts the responsibility on police officers to determine if and when a person needs to be hospitalized. It turns cops into social workers without the necessary training or experience to deal with mental health emergencies. And having police deal with people who are mentally ill is fraught. A Washington Post database shows that 21% of deadly police shootings involve a person with a mental illness. And that is way too high. And again, I, I agree with Velashi's uh reporting there that police should not have to respond to this because that is not their lane. That's not what they do. But we can partner them with people who that is their job to do that. Now certainly the situation has to be assessed, whether the person is violent, whether somebody else could be hurt. But the first resort should be the pairing up and making a decision that de-escalates the situation rather than eat makes the situation elevate higher than what it needs to do and so that we can save lives. Now other cities and states are starting to deploy mental health response teams in lieu of police officers, including on and around college campuses. Now in California, for example, this headline, UC Santa Cruz's new mobile crisis response team, first of its kind in the UC system. Good on you, UC. And in Chicago, Chicago is making progress on a new response for 911 calls involving mental health, keep at it. The next mayor should continue to fully support the care team initiative launched by Mayor Lightfoot's administration. Research suggests it could pay off big for people in crisis and for police, for both. And in North Carolina, this headline, Orange County receives $1.2 million grant for non-law enforcement response team. It is indeed vital, sisters and brothers, family and friends, America to end to find alternatives to mental health calls with an emphasis on de-escalation. And the police, they don't have to do this by themselves because we have social workers. We have psychologists and psychiatrists. We have people who are trained, Max, to do these things, to be able to complement law enforcement. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the truly sad thing here is that a lot of people are treating this as just the way it has to be, this broken system that doesn't help anyone. And the reality is, you know, this needs funding and it needs structural support. And we had that in the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. I mean, when there was an election going, 
This was all Democrats wanted to talk about. And now that the election has passed, it's disappeared. And there are legislative remedies for this that exist. But if our leaders don't have the political courage to make that a priority, we can't keep asking nonprofits to step up, communities to step up, local departments to step up. This is a federal responsibility, and we can only duck that for so long. I mean, Max is kicking, I mean, he kicking the knowledge today, y'all. We can only ask nonprofits to do so much. We need elected leaders who have the intestinal fortitude, okay? To do what is right, to push public policy. You are right on that, Max. Max, we're going now to Texas, to the great state of Texas. When elected officials fail to protect our basic rights, we have to take matters in our own hands. Five women in Texas are doing just that. Take a look. Five women in Texas today made history, talking about the most deeply personal and painful moments of their own lives. In service of an unprecedented landmark lawsuit that they are bringing, aiming to hold the state of Texas accountable for horrific health consequences they have suffered after they were denied the quote, necessary and potentially life saving health care in the form of abortion. There it is. Abortion is part of a woman's reproductive health. I know some people don't want to deal with that, but that is what it is. Now here's a picture of the women in front of the Texas Capitol building, along with Nancy Northrup on the far right end, the CEO of the Center for Reproductive Rights. And in this tweet, now I'm at the Texas Capitol where five women along with the Center for Reproductive Rights are unveiling a lawsuit. They have filed against the state of Texas, hashtag abortion ban. They say they were denied abortions despite their lives or their fetuses being at risk. You know, these politicians acting like they doctors now. See, these people, America, and, and this is not, see, we're not going to debate. Hey, either you're for it or I get it. However, however, Politicians should not be trying to be mamas and daddies to these women. They should be able to make the choice. It is between them and their doctor. And if they believe in a higher power, it is theirs. It really strikes me as strange, Max, because if these people really were pro-life instead of pro-birth, then they would support Medicare for all. They would support fully funding our education system from pre-K to college. They would support making sure mamas and daddies have jobs with living wages so that they can provide for their children, etc., etc. Max, you can add to that list. That's how I feel about it. I mean, if you really gonna go pro-life, let's go and do this thing all the way. Yeah, I mean, what drives me nuts about this is this, like policing, like college loans, is another issue Democrats have the winning support on, huge majorities of people. And yet it's disappeared from the conversation. And a lot of people think that just because Republicans were kept out of the Senate in 2022, that that means they lost. But the truth is, you know, in Ohio, in Utah, in North and South Carolina, here in Texas, there are over a dozen states passing even more restrictive abortion bans this year. And they are able to do that because the national press has not covered it once in the last. That uh, that video you put up was the first time the network had covered it in over a week. And this is as things are actively happening to make it harder to get an abortion or to even get IVF or contraception. This is not a fight that's over. No, it's not a fight that's over. And we gotta recognize that it's never really going to be 
uh, over. Now these brave women are making their voices heard and I'm so proud that they are doing that, that they're doing their part. And let's put up this, the women have been denied necessary and potentially life-saving obstetrical care because medical professionals throughout the state fear liability under Texas abortion bans, again, which is wrong. And I'm glad these women are stepping up, yes they are. Now Molly Duane, a senior staff attorney at the center said the following, just because Roe v Wade is no longer the law of the land does not mean that women and pregnant people are without constitutional and basic human rights. We're, ta- we're talking about people who are in medical emergencies, who need urgent medical care and whose physicians are too scared to provide that care because of the state's laws and because of the state's failure to provide any clarification around what its law means. And that is so true. Now the lawsuit names Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. His office responded on Tuesday saying Paxton will continue to defend and enforce the laws duly enacted by the Texas legislature. No surprise there, he's saying what what he had to say as the Attorney General of the state of Texas. And here's a recap of the abhorrent and restrictive law known as SB 8 which took took effect in September of 2021. The law enables individuals to file law civil lawsuits worth tens of thousands of dollars against anyone found to have provided an abortion or helped a patient get one. The law includes limited exceptions for medical emergencies, the key word for limited. Yeah, this is a problem, yet the potential Four prison sentences of up to 99 years, $100,000 in fines, and the loss of medical licenses has scared doctors into not providing abortions, even in the cases where the law would seem to allow them. I mean, they're they're scared. And I want us to quickly talk about the, the dangers of the abortion bans. I mean, these bans have real life consequences. They can threaten the lives of the mother. Let's put this up. Two of the plaintiffs in the new lawsuit, Anna and Lauren, have previously told their stories to NPR. Zagarian's doctors denied her an abortion after her water broke at 19 weeks, too early for the fetus to survive. Fearing the prospect of severe infection, she flew to Colorado for a termination. Damn shame, she shouldn't have to have done that. Miller and a second patient, Ashley Brandt, each face a complicated twin pregnancies in which doctors told them that terminating one twin would offer the best chance to preserve the life and the health of the other twin, as well as the pregnant women. Four of the five women ultimately left Texas to seek abortions in other states, among them Colorado and Washington. I mean, Max, there it is. It is stunning to me that this keeps happening because as we see in poll after poll, the more voters get to know about abortion bans, the less they want them and the less they want to vote for Republicans. This is happening because Republicans are being allowed to pursue this without vocal opposition. Democrats are being told to stay away from social issues like abortion ahead of 2024. But it's not a social issue, it's a medical issue. It's a humanitarian and human rights issue. And it's an issue that most Americans support Democrats on. So our silence in this, not yours obviously, but you know, Beltway Democrats silence in this has certainly left activists feeling like props and have left them feeling really unsupported as they fight these fights in the states. 
That's it, Max. You know, in the black church, we learned that when the sermon has been preached, just go ahead and say amen. So I'm gonna amen to everything that you just said, Max. And Anna and Ashley, just to go back to these women, along with other women in this lawsuit, represent millions of those affected by these abortion bans. So they're standing up not just for themselves. And this is about healthcare itself. Where abortion is illegal or highly restricted, women resort to unsafe means to end unwanted pregnancies, including self-inflicted abdominal and bodily trauma, ingestion of dangerous chemicals, self-medication with a variety of drugs, and reliance on unqualified abortion providers. Now this is coming from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Today, approximately 21 million women around the world obtain unsafe illegal abortions each year and complications from these unsafe procedures account for approximately 13% of all maternal deaths, nearly 50,000 annually. America, this should be unacceptable, really. This is abortion is an, it's a medical procedure. We need to put aside all of the other stuff and understand that what these Republicans primarily are doing is wrong. And the fact that the Democrats caved, yet they raised money when Roe v. Wade was overturned. They sent out emails, Max, to raise a whole lot of money off of it. But they don't want to use their power yep. to really stand up for, for women and their families. And they could have codified Roe a long time ago, but neglected to do that. They should have did something with the filibuster. But anyway, Marissa is giving us the high sign. It is time to end the show. Max, I want to tell you, baby, you kicked all type of knowledge today. <laughs> and I cannot wait, we cannot wait till you are back with us again. That is our time today, Unboss viewers. We are sending you so much love. Now you know exactly what I want you to do about this time. I want you to keep the faith and couple with that faith. I want you to keep the fight. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Idarola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.